Thanks, Pet Shop Boys, for singing America's national anthem. Can I get an amen? Everybody wants money. I mean, everybody. How do I know? We lie for it. We, we tell lies for money. We steal for it. We cheat for it. We, sacrif we sacrifice our families for money. Money. Get divorced over it. Some even kill for it. So if it's so bad, we need to ask this question, does money really matter to Jesus? Does it really matter? I think sometimes as believers, we think that money isn't a big deal to Jesus. Or sometimes I'll hear people say this, that money is unspiritual. Now, do I think how much we make or how little we make is important to Jesus? Not necessarily. But I do think that Jesus, Jesus often used money as a barometer to gauge where our hearts are at. This morning we're going to look at, at a parable that Jesus gives us about money. Now this shouldn't be surprising to us, but of the 38 parables in the New Testament, 50%, 19 of those parables deal with handling possessions. Baptism is important. I mean, it's really, really important. But there are 16 times more verses in the New Testament on handling money than there are on baptism. Communion is really important. I mean, it's really important. We're going to celebrate that here this morning. We're going to celebrate baptism this morning. But there are 32 times more biblical statements about financial management than about communion. This morning, we're, we're going to look at one of the most unusual parables Jesus ever spoke. It's been given all sorts of names, but the two most common ones have been the parable of the shrewd manager, that's the nice name. And then the parable of the unrighteous servant, the not so nice name. Here's what's amazing in God's economy, both are true. Now this parable has caused commentators all sorts of problems. Many theologians call it the most difficult parable in the Bible to understand. I, I, I think the challenge is once we understand, it's one of the most difficult to put into practice. So let me give us a quick overview, okay? It's a story about an employee who cooked the books for his employer. He used dishonest methods to give an accounting of his company's assets. And now it gets real strange because it appears as though Jesus is praising this bad guy. But a careful look reveals that Jesus isn't praising a bad guy, but he's praising a shrewd guy, a guy who understood his worldly kingdom so well. Thus, Jesus wants us to learn from him so we can better understand how to live out our God's, God's kingdom on earth. All right, please do me a favor if you haven't already. Open your Bibles and Bible devices to the New Testament book of Luke, Luke chapter 16, as we continue our study in the parables of Jesus. And let's enjoy the story together. Luke chapter 16. Verse 1, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man who, whose manager, maybe your version says steward, 
there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Real quick, we need to find what a manager or steward is. A manager is one who takes what belongs to another and then wisely distributes it. So back in college, hard to believe, um, but my junior year, I was a manager at Little Caesars Pizza. It was this brand new chain, just came to Southern California from Detroit. This couple invested all they had to buy this this franchise. They trusted me, I was 21 years old, to manage it. I was to wisely distribute um, products so they could make money. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. We don't know the details. It's a parable. We don't need to. But obviously, he's not doing a good job. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Verse 5, so he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, hey, how much do you owe my master, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Such a deal. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. What? Are you kidding me? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Okay, so what just happened? An accounts manager for a a really rich guy is given his two-week notice. Basically, he's fired, but he has two weeks left on the job. So he goes home and he says to his wife, hey, babe, what what am I going to do? I mean, honey, uh, I'm about to lose my job and I've gotten used to drinking um, $7 Onyx lattes and sitting in first class and, and... and there's no way I'm going back to Folgers and business, and right? Not even business class, economy class. Also, um, you see these hands? These are accountant hands. These are pastor hands right here, not carpenter hands. And I've got a bad back, I can't dig ditches. And oh, by the way, I'm, I, I got my pride to think about, so I can't beg. So he went to the best customers and gave them deep discounts on what they owed his boss. Why? Well, obviously, after he was fired from his company for mismanagement, he would go to one of the customers who quote-unquote owed him a favor. And hopefully they would remember his actions and give him a job. This is what is known as a win-win. You say, how? Well, the shrewd manager um, gets future employment and the owner gets a reputation in the community for being gracious and forgiving. So much so that even the owner says this, I've got to hand it to you, you are cunning, you are a cunning, devious, despicable guy, but that was pretty smart. So what is Jesus doing here? He's giving a positive lesson from a negative example. Here's what he's saying, even people who sin have something to teach us. And for some of you, here's what you're thinking, well, Lee, I thought that Jesus would only use, you know, a positive example to teach a positive story. Sometimes a negative example can also teach a positive lesson. So, for example, if you want to have a good marriage, don't just learn from everyone with a good marriage. I mean, that's really important, but some people have bad marriages, and they have things to teach us as well. 
and, and get to know a few people who have really messed up their walk with God because they have some things to teach us as well. We need to learn from those who are successful in business and finance, but we also need um, to learn from those who have made some mistakes because if we're humble, everyone has something to teach us. Positive, negative, and even if it's a negative lesson, it's, important. it's an important lesson nevertheless. Notice also, verse eight, that Jesus divides the entire human race into two groups. That's all there is. Don't, don't, don't get muddied in the middle, because there's no middle. Well, you know, there's, no, no, there's two groups. There's children of the world and children of the light. Children of the world have said no to God. No, thank you. Don't want you, don't need you. Their world is physical, right? Our world is spiritual. Millions of people, billions of people live their lives as if this world is all there will ever be. Thus they devote their entire lives to getting ahead in this world and accumulating all the toys and all the stuff and all the accolades that will make them feel really, really comfortable and important. On the other hand, there are those who are called the, the people of, of the light. I think that's most of us in this room. You say, what, what's the definition there? We have a, a personal relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. We are living in this world, but we know that this world is not all there is. We never, we never quite feel comfortable in this world. At least we shouldn't. Why? Because it's not really our home. Like Abraham, we're looking for a city um, who's a city not made with human hands. In spite of this, Jesus said we should learn to be a little shrewder in the ways of the world without becoming like the world. So what can we learn from the shrewd manager? Here are just a few things. I want you to see him behind me on the screen. One, he knew he was facing a deadline. Two, he formulated a plan. And then three, he acted before the opportunity was gone. What does Jesus want us to learn? Beloved, please hear this. We're facing a deadline. It's called death. Here's the question for all of us. Do we have a creative plan to influence our world before that deadline? I'm amazed that so many believers just kind of rambling and ambling about, I don't know, I'm making money, I'm getting married, I'm having kids, and I'm single, just kind of doing my thing. I pop into church and listen to a few podcasts. What's your plan? You got a plan? Jesus says, look at this guy. He's pagan, he's lost, he's cunning, he's despicable, he's a liar. Learn from him, he's got a plan. Man, I grew up in a family with a guy much like that, my dad. And I love him, and he's been gone for 22 years, and I miss him every day. Uh, my dad had a plan, he worked the plan every day to get more stuff for him, but he had a plan. He worked the plan. Do we have a creative plan to influence our world before that deadline? Here's what Jesus is asking us as followers of him. And I want you to see this. What's your plan? I've given you Holy Spirit to live inside of you. I've given you spiritual gift. I've gi gifts. I've given you resources. What, what's, your, what's your plan? And don't tell me you don't have a plan about things in life. I talk to you guys all the time. Man, I'm working on my lake house. I've been working on that sucker for 10 years. I, I, I do this, I do that, I'm pecking. Okay, nothing wrong with that. You got a plan. 
Well, my career goals, and I mapped it out here, I started here, I've done this, I've gone back to school. Oh, you got a plan. Like my family, I've been raising my kids up, they're going to children's ministry, they're in youth, we're doing devotion. That's good, that's really good. You got a plan. Jesus uses this unusual parable about a shrewd manager to launch into three life lessons about handling money. And we know these teachings um, are about money. Why? Let's skip down to verse 14. Why? Because of the reaction of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who loved money, they didn't love what they could do with money. They loved money. Why? For what it could do for them. They heard all this. They heard it all. And they sneered. They mocked. They laughed. (laughs) Please, Jesus. You may hear some Christians teach that money is evil. Um, The Bible never says money is evil. It's the love of money, the craving for money that's the problem. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 30 years as a pastor, that's all I've seen time and time and time and time again. For the love of money, the love, not money, is a root of all kinds of evil. It's like, the, it's like the, the soil that produces all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, I've seen that time and time again, and pierced themselves with many griefs. All right, three life lessons from our text. Life lesson number one. Jesus says we must use our money and possessions and influence to gain eternal friends. Verse nine, Luke chapter 16, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Does this shock us? We're like, what the heck? Use worldly wealth to gain friends so that when you get to heaven, they'll, they'll welcome you in? What is Jesus talking about? I mean, Jesus is saying that we need to be clever in using our money so that the end result will be that we see people in heaven. Let me say that again. Jesus is saying that we need to be clever when using our money, his money, we'll talk about that, So that the end result that we will see people in heaven. That the things that we invested in, the people we invested in, right? Not just money, our our home, our time, all those things. That one day when we step into eternity and everyone will step into eternity, we literally get there and go, what the, what are you doing here? What are you, well you gave money to this missionary, 25 bucks a month. That person came to my country and they shared the gospel and it took 10 years, but eventually I gave my life to, thank you for the 25 bucks a month. Oh, wow, you didn't realize this, but you gave your time and energy and and resources to this thing called a youth ministry. You actually helped out, and they preached the word, and they had a camp, and my son went there, and he became a Christian at that camp, and then he steered from the faith, and then he came back. He remembered that camp as a stone of remembrance. Thank you. My son now is in eternity because of that. Jesus is saying that we need to be clever in using our money so that the end result will be that we'll see people in heaven. Now, we can't buy our salvation or anyone else's salvation. We can't buy friends. Trust me, people have tried. Um, but did you notice how the shrewd manager used his discounts to influence his customers so that they would receive him favorably after he lost his job? In the same way, we should be using our, our money to influence people for Christ. 
At New Heights, um, we feel that God has called us to be wise managers of the resources he gives us so that we can be influencers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've seen it before and you'll see it again, but I, I think our circle chart best illustrates this. Take a look and you say, wait a second, that's, that's the Reader's Digest version. It's gotten so crazy and so big and so detailed, we can't even fit it on the screen. Hallelujah, by the way, right? Each circle, I want you to get this. Each circle represents influence. And each one of those circles that represents influence for the kingdom of God needs resources. That's how it works. But each circle is worth it, why? Because they represent people. They represent people. Um, here are, I'll pull a few from there. Here are some of our circles. Potter's House is a, a ministry for underprivileged children and families. They provide tutoring, preschool, small groups, leadership development, job training, mentoring, employment at Potter's House Thrift, another circle, a, a legal clinic and voucher program for clothing, furniture, household items, and oh yeah, there are 45 full-time and 60 part-time employees. How about the Joshua Center? Maybe, maybe you all didn't know this. It is by far the largest Christian counseling um, office in Arkansas. This is our counseling and prayer ministry with five locations statewide with over 50 um, full and part-time employees with roughly 3,500 clients equaling, you ready for this? 8,400 appointments yearly. Yes, 8,400 appointments. Right now, um, there's a waiting list to get into the Joshua Center. But more importantly, thousands of lives and families are brought to a place of emotional health and, and freedom. How about Global Outfitters? This is the missions arm of New Heights Church, 64 overseas missionaries in 24 um, countries taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to places where there is no gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have 34 local missionaries encouraging and equipping others to go. Um, New Heights Church itself, the big circle in the middle, Besides helping fund and birth the other circles I just mentioned, we get to influence 65 plus community groups, hundreds of young professionals and singles. When the, when the college students are here, over 500 college students, 150 plus middle and high school students and their families, 250 children and their families, and 30 plus and their families and celebrate recovery. Let me also just add that eternity looks different because of the Fayetteville Prayer Room. Over 200 churches locally are part of the Fayetteville prayer room. They don't even know it's us. We don't want them to know it's us. We don't care if they know that it's us. We want people to pray. We want people to pray. Beautiful Life's Boutique, Preschool Place, Cobblestone Family Farm Community, and our church plants stateside. And trust me, I'm leaving out a bunch, a bunch of stuff for the sake of time. And by the way, um, people will say to me, Lee, woo! Whew, the circle chart's getting kind of crazy. You know, you, you pull them back. No, 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 we want to expand. Take a look. You see all the question marks? That's you. What do you got for us? What do you got? You say, well, man, you and Jim and, the El Jim and Lee and the elders probably thought of 1% of all of our circle chart. You know where the circle chart came from? You. We're facilitators. That's who we are. We are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter four. That was my nerdy life verse that God gave me in seminary. 
I remember telling someone, like, that is the nerdiest life. I'm, yeah, but man, reproduction of people produces fruit for the kingdom of God. Amen? And there's so many gifted saints out there with so many gifted ideas and, and abilities. And how do we expand? What does it look like? Jesus said, one day our money will be gone and we will be gone from our money. So while we still have an opportunity, we need to use our money to influence people so that one day we will see them in heaven. Next life lesson, we must be trustworthy with the resources that God gives us. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I always hear people all the time like, Pastor, I just need more. Are you, are, are you a faithful steward of what you have now? Well, no. Why would God give you more? But if I had more, every study out there, by the way, people who, Christians who make more money give less proportionately. Isn't that crazy? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Verse 11, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling, this is where it gets interesting, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? We'll talk about that. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Jesus mentions two kinds of wealth. First, there is worldly wealth. Nothing wrong with worldly wealth, Right? Um, this is money that God gives us that um, we need, right? We need. We've we got bills to pay. We've, you know, we've got to pay for gas. We've got to pay for food. We've got to pay for uh, rent. We've got to pay a mortgage. Um, sometimes, though, he has to remind us whose money it really is. Um, Psalm 24 and verse 1, I love this verse. You hear me quote it often because it's a reminder to me. It kind of sets things straight with me. The earth is the Lord's. Well, that's interesting. Okay, I'll give you the globe. That's cool. I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, by the way, Lee, um, and everything in it. Well, you don't mean everything. Yeah, everything in it, like the world, and oh, by the way, every soul, everyone who lives in it. He owns all the diamonds, all the gold, all the silver, all the oil, all the minerals. He owns uh, cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills as well. He is the one who causes us to prosper with this worldly wealth. So we use money, worldly wealth, to buy food, clothing, shelter. He gives us worldly wealth so we can enjoy things also that go beyond the basic necessities. I call this bonus wealth. There's nothing wrong with bonus wealth. Here's the key word, moderation. We got wealth, worldly wealth, we need to live. We got a little bonus wealth for moderation. Jesus speaks of a second kind of wealth. Most people don't catch this. It's called true riches. So why does God give us worldly wealth? Here's why. If we're trustworthy with a little, God knows we can be trust, trust, trusted with a lot. It's a test. Look again at verse 11. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Worldly wealth is the litmus test God uses to see if we can handle true riches. What's true riches? Souls. Kingdom stuff. Eternity. The stuff that matters to God. What Jesus is saying to those who haven't been trustworthy is this. And I want you to see it. Do you think God is going to reward you in eternity if we, it, reward us in eternity if we've wasted away the opportunities and material things that he's given us on this earth? 
I know, remember what I told you a couple weeks ago? All parables have a bite. Here's the bite. Parables aren't, oh, I read that and feel real good. Parables are like, uh-oh, oh my, here we go. Please hear this, we can buy ourselves endless amounts of stuff and creature comforts and earthly possessions. We can spend all of our time and resources on shallow, um, corrupting temporary things, but one day we'll stand in eternity and God will ask us this. And I want you to see it. Did we use our worldly wealth for eternal souls? I'm sorry, man. You got a place, it should be wore out. The carpet should be wore out because people are coming in and out all the time. Neighbors, friends, community groups, discipleship, this wore out. If God's given you enough resources to have a place, you don't need to be saying things like, well, it's not as good as who cares. It's what God gave you. Yeah. You should be wearing that sucker out. You got a car. Man, who are you driving? Who are you picking up? Who are you getting to community group? Who are you going to go meet? What are you using? You got a lake house? Woo, man. Children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, Pastor Lee and Miss Ruth, whatever. You got to give it up. You got to give it up. Did I just say that? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for spirit-filled people who own lake houses. Hallelujah. And love their pastor. C.T. Studd, one of the greatest names ever, was a professional cricket player in Great Britain in the late 19th century. This may not seem that impressive now, but back in the day, that was the number one sport in the world. It was the basketball, the football, the soccer. And he was the Tom Brady of that sport. He was, on, he was the star of um, England's national team, which was the best team in the world. And I know he doesn't look like a professional athlete with the bow tie and all, but work with me here, okay? <laughs> you're like, what the? Uh, I will say this, when you have a name like Stud, you're destined to be a professional athlete, right? <laughs> right? Here's what's, every time I read this, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by it. He's incredibly wealthy. He's a good looking guy. He's got fame, accolades, he's got it all. At the height of his career, here's what he said to himself. <laughs> He said, my life is yielding very little eternal value. Height of his career. And so he sensed God's call to carry the gospel to the nations. So he left it all and spent the rest of his days in China, India, and then Africa where he died. Guy could have been working the circuit, could have made a ton of money, could have retired with leisure, could have been re retired with fame. Everyone saw him in England. Whoa, see, see, what's up, dog? Man, good to see you. Working the banquet circuit, living the life of luxury. He died alone in Africa. This would be like Tom Brady or LeBron James or think of some younger star today. So naturally, people all over the world asked him why he did it, and here was his answer. He said, I love it, it's so simple. Well, if Jesus was God who died to save me, shouldn't I be willing to give up my life to see his salvation come to others? He also wrote a poem. Most of you know it, some of you don't. This poem sat in my mother-in-law's house for decades. It was unbelievably convicting. She passed. I thought maybe the poem would be thrown away, but it went to my wife, Ruth. 
And she put that poem in our bathroom, our master bathroom. I see this poem every single day of my life. Only one life will soon be passed. This is the poem he, he wrote. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. So let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I, I, I'll hear the call, we all will hear that call, by the way. Don't fool yourself. I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Life lesson number one, we must use our money and possessions to gain eternal friends. Life lesson number two, we must be trustworthy with God's resources. Life lesson number three, please get this one down. Money's a great servant, it's an awesome servant. It is a terrible master. It's a terrible master. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's the question for us this morning. How important is money to us? Money can easily take God's place in our lives. It can become our master. So here's what I want to do. I just want to get real practical. You know me. I've got some questions for all of us, questions that I say to myself on a regular basis. I call it a, a money diagnostic test for believers, okay? Here's the first one. If you answer yes to most or even some of these questions, you may have a problem with money. Um, do we think and worry about money frequently? Number two. Do we give up doing kingdom things in order to make more money? If you're that person who's like, okay, when I make the money, then I'll serve, you'll never serve. You'll never serve for all sorts of reasons. Number three, um, do we spend too much of our time caring for our possessions? Number four, is it hard for us to give money away? Number five, this one's a little tricky. I'm not trying to judge anyone, but I want to say this. Are we in a significant amount of debt? If it's something beyond your control, that happens to all of us. If it's you going, I've got to have more and more and more. I can't put the credit card. That's an issue. That's an issue. Remember, money is a hard master. Wealth, this is what wealth promises. Man, the devil, oh, I hate him. Uh, I've seen this in, in my family, both sides of my family. Wealth promises power and control, but in the end, it can never deliver. No amount of money can provide health, happiness, and most of all, eternal life. Instead, we need to let God be our master. Here is Jesus' retirement plan. It's so simple. Again, brilliant. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, my brother won't mind me sharing this, but for years and years and years when I was a kid, I collected football cards. And uh, man, I had the most incredible collection of football cards. But it was back in the day when no one thought much about it. I go off to college and this whole football card revolution takes place. I begin to like, I'll be standing in the store and there'll be a magazine. That's back when they had magazines, Google it. And so there was a magazine in the store and it was all about the value of football cards. I'm in Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm like, what the? I pick it up. I'm like, I had this card, I had this card. It was like thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars for my football cards. 
<laughs> oh, I'm a poor college student. I'm like, I cannot wait. This was the fall. I'm going to go home at Christmas time, back to San Diego. I'm, I would, I'd get on a plane. I'd go home. I'd go into the garage. I had it packed away neatly. I had it all stored up. I go and I, I, I realize it's light. It's light. But I had a seal, I had a, I pull it out, it's like half there. And I begin to realize, I have a magazine, I'm looking, every single football card that was uh, valuable is gone. I went to my brother, who um, often stole things for drugs. I talked about him a couple weeks ago. He loves Jesus now, it's awesome. He's like, dude, I didn't take it. 20 years later, he's like, I need to talk to you. Um, <laughs> he said, that Holy Spirit got me. <laughs> I took your football cards. I'm like, I'm gonna make a killing. No, you're not. No, you're not. Store your treasures in heaven. You can't take away from me, devil, if I'm sharing the gospel with my neighbor. You can't steal my joy and my fruit if I'm discipling young men. You can't take away the, the, uh, the pleasure and the, and the fruit of teaching God's word and people receiving Christ. No, you can't take that away. You can't take away the money I give that goes to people that share the gospel and unreached. You can't take it away. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. As we finish, let's look one more time at verse 9. Luke chapter 16 and verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Again, let me ask, are we investing our money in ways so that when we get to heaven, there'll be people there um, to greet us because of our generosity? Will there be some people there because of how we live, what we said, and how we spent our, our money? At this time, I'd like Clayton Clark to come on up. Clayton, come on up. You can grab that mic right there. That mic is hot. It's ready to go. Clayton and Lana and their kids, Camilla, Kellen, and uh, Corey Noel are global workers for New Heights. Um, that means they live and work overseas as an extension of New Heights Church. Clayton runs a data operations team of 16 local developers there. They, they live life in um, a kingdom community sharing boldly to see their prayers to see a Jesus movement in their city and beyond. So let me just ask Clayton a couple questions. Um, Clayton, you work for a real company in Tunisia with a real salary. We don't, actually, we don't give you any money, right? So if you're not on support, how does New Heights actually help you? Uh, yeah, well, first, there's a lot of global workers who are on support. And so as I think about today's parable, um, new heights or directly giving to them is a shrewd investment in God doing stuff all over the world. Um, for us, new heights is critical. Um, y'all are holding the rope for us in, in a ton of ways. I'm going to try not to forget any. Okay. Uh, one is just a source of spiritual authority, a place to ask us tough questions, uh, to be under the teaching and direction of new heights, uh, being a part of community. Uh, we're driving a new heights car right now. Incredibly tangible blessing for our family. Uh, we've stayed in a New Heights apartment before, New Heights coordinated where we're staying on this trip when we're back this summer. Uh, the Go Center Global Outfitters has equipped us, has pulled us in to help equip the body uh, through a barbecue for global workers this summer and just a source of community. Um, the Joshua Center, uh, New Heights has given us access to 
We've been there for marriage counseling and counseling and discernment prayer through the years. Um, just an incredible hold the rope for us as we're there. Uh, something else I found myself that's not directly related to your question, but telling my kids, um, and I'm trying not to get emotional on this one. Uh, the other day, we have been learning just really tangible ways to, to meet people and build relationships where we live who are needy. And uh, one of those is a friend named Muhammad. And so our kids are along that journey with us. And uh, as we've been back this summer, we've seen a lot of needy. And I don't know if it's just that there's more with a lot of what's going on in the U.S. Uh, or if our kids are more aware. And so they're asking, well, what are we going to do here? And we're just here for a month. Uh, and I found myself telling them, you know, this is why we give to New Heights and why we'll always want to increase what we give because we don't get to be here. But as we give to New Heights, there's Potter's House and Cobblestone and low-income housing and all these things where this, this directive in the New Testament sent to another church that says, do not forget mm-hmm. the poor. We don't, we're not forgetting people here either. Amen. Yeah, wow. Uh, well, why, why North Africa? What, what led you there? Yeah, well, our spiritual journey was leading us to love Muslims tangibly and share Jesus boldly. And in that as well, we were praying for an authentic work and really miraculously ran into Harvest Group as they were wanting to launch engineering and analytics jobs overseas in a Muslim Arabic speaking country. So it checked all the boxes for us. Something we tell our kids is wherever we are, wherever God takes us, we want to commit to the people of God, to the word of God and to the work of God. Mm. And so as we work, as we live our normal lives in North Africa, Um, we're committed to a small group. I call it our community group of like-minded believers who are committed to his work in that place that we might share uh, this good news boldly. Man, Um, let's just get personal. I I know we don't have time to share all the stories, but um, how are you seeing God at work? Give us a story. I told Lee I was going to tell a story about Aisha, but I'm going to tell a story about Muhammad. Okay, you're, you're switching gears, yeah, switching on, gears yeah, on it. I'm used to that. I thought I need to do that to Lee. If anybody, should, that should be done to them. It should be Lee. Um, <laughs> Somewhere so, Jim Hall's like, yep, give it to Lee. <laughs> the, uh, so we're having a British-American family over. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I also have these terrible weeds in my super tiny yard. And this man walks up and asks for a job. And I turned him away because we're busy and just felt incredibly convicted. Like, oh man, that sounds like the opposite of who should you have at your banquet, right? We should have people who can't take us back to their banquet. Yeah, yeah. That's another parable, by the way. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. And so I just, in praying, man, I want to run into this guy again. And sure enough, a week or two later, I see him. And so this time I go to him and say, hey, I'll give you a job. And so we've had the opportunity to walk with him through COVID. And for somebody who just, whatever job they find that day, COVID's been punishing uh, where we live. And we've seen him evicted, 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 um, in a, just near homelessness and food scarcity. And so we've been able to be a safety net where he can always come for a meal and meet felt needs. And we've been able to work through common misconceptions Muslims have about what we believe. Hey, mm. we don't believe in three gods. That's not something you're going to find in the New Testament that there's more than one God. We're radical monotheists too. And we've prayed consistently to the point that he says, hey, Camila and Yusuf, we call our son Yusuf. Hmm. I know they're praying for me and I got a job today. 
And he actually is on a salary job now, which is pretty amazing. And just before coming back here, he uh, uh, jumped in with me and an Iraqi man in this, like, read the New Testament at least every six months idea that we're trying to do. And he just spontaneously prayed for us and in Jesus' name uh, as we're traveling back. And so we want prayer for him and that the Spirit would be working in magnificent ways in providing for him um, as he goes through his life journey. Okay, so besides Muhammad, and we'll pray for him, what are some other things that we can pray for? Um, that our family and our kingdom community that we would thrive. Yeah. And this community of believers that we're um, connected with, that we would go next level in this next sing- season in language, that we can really connect uh, with community and share clearly uh, the good news. And then just for, for radical success at the Harvest Group office, uh, and for our um, data operations team. Okay. So we're praying for men and women of peace. We're praying for your, the community, the <clears throat> small group community, your family to flourish within that as well. For the <clears throat> actual business itself, I'm praying for Muhammad. I'm going to ask Josh Foliart to come on up. Josh, um, as you all know, <clears throat> is on staff at New Heights, and he leads our, our New Heights um, church planning stateside, but he also has a phenomenal ministry called Multiply Global. I couldn't think of a more kingdom guy when I think of this talk, and I couldn't think of someone better to pray for our brother right now. Why don't you stretch forth your hands and pray these things uh, to yourself as Josh prays them out loud. Father, thank you for uh, men and women and families who say yes to going, um, who understand uh, the gift that you've placed on their life. And Father, I thank you for Clayton and for his family. And I just thank you, Father, for the sincerity of their desire um, to go after the one, to leave the 99, Mm, to do whatever it takes to be uh, men and women who love uh, tangibly. He used that word several times. I just pray, Father, for blessing. God, we pray for Muhammad right now in the name of Jesus. I think it's the most popular name in the world. We pray, Father, Mm. uh, for not just that Muhammad, but for every Muhammad that's out there. God, we pray, Lord, that uh, what we'd love to do for all of them, Clayton's getting to do for one. I just pray, Lord, that you would unveil his eyes Uh, so that he could see clearly who you are, King Jesus, that you're a good friend, that you're loving, that you are good news when you enter the room. And so, Father, thank you for Clayton. Thank you, Father, for what's happening in North Africa. Thank you for Tunisia. Um, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus for a move of your spirit that cannot be quenched. Use this family in the mighty name of Jesus. We give thanks. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Well, the worship team's coming back up. If you're on the prayer team, come on up. You're going to see people, if you're new to New Heights, um, this is what we call our ministry time. We do it every week, and uh, you'll see people to my left and to my right. They're, they're on our prayer team. They just want to pray with you. You may be thinking, man, I, I don't, I'm not even sure what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. I've been so caught up in, in works or politics or just attending church, but I don't think I know the God of the church. I don't think I know Jesus. And you're like, I want to talk to someone about salvation. Well, our, people on our prayer team want to talk to you about that. Maybe, which I think is most of us here, you're just like, I, I just, I need prayer. I have a prodigal or I'm, I'm struggling with an addiction or depression or loan. What? I don't know. Um, but we love prayer. God loves prayer. Um, the older I get, the more I realize I, I can't do anything. I mean, I got nothing to offer, but I can pray. And God hears and he cares.
Maybe some of you are sitting here and you're under conviction and and you're feeling shamed. That was not the intent of my message. Please don't. Please don't. What I love about God is that he's not a God of shame. He's a God of repentance. And the world gives repentance a bad, you know, a a bad definition. Um, But for me, repentance is a beautiful picture of God's grace. Like I was doing this and I shouldn't have. And God said, hey, stop turn come back that's repentance I was reading Acts chapter 2 yesterday morning and um, again I was reminded of how powerful repentance is Peter's preaching preaching this incredible message and he's saying hey you crucified Jesus you're the ones who did it and and the Bible says the crowd just got super convicted and they said what what do we need to do and Peter didn't say you can't do anything you killed the Savior You, you you he didn't do that Peter's like, here's what you can do. You can repent and believe. So today's the day of repentance. Say, hey, God, I've been using my time, my stuff, and my money for me. That's going to change today. That's going to change today. I I need to look in some way, shape, or form like C.T. Studd. Whatever that looks like. Whatever Holy Spirit has put on your heart. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for parables. I confess, every time I read one, especially if I teach on one, um, I'm incredibly convicted. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, it's hard. That's the point. We need to repent and change and and get caught up in your kingdom economy and um, not ours, not our own economy. Thank you, God, for the Clarks again. Bless them in so many ways. Continue to provide for them. I agree with Josh. I pray for an outpouring of of the Holy Spirit and for that nation to be transformed because of the gospel. Thank you, God, for so many people in this room who give sacrificially. There's so many. Thank you, God. What a blessing. I'm I'm a recipient of that. Thank you. And Father God, for those here who aren't sure what it means to know you, I pray that today would be not, not just the day of repentance, but the day of salvation. It would lead to salvation, God. They would put their faith and their trust in Christ and Christ alone. We ask all this in his name. Amen.